Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Good morning, church. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. We're so glad you're here with us. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We're actually in the middle of a sermon series in the book of Acts. We've been there since January, and we've kind of taken a three-week part here called Radiant Reminders of the Resurrection. And so these Radiant Reminders of the Resurrection, the first week we saw Stephen. Stephen was being stoned, and he looked up into heaven. He saw a vision. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. There was a radiant reminder of the the resurrection. The next week we saw Philip, the evangelist, making his way through Samaria and then going and finding an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the prophet Isaiah and he was able to explain to him that Jesus is the suffering lamb that was slain. And he was then baptized, showing him a picture of the resurrection. Well, this morning we got one of the most famous conversions in all of the Bibles, Saul, who had become Paul. Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. So Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, he stopped dead in his tracks. Have you ever heard that saying, stop dead in your tracks? I mean, maybe you were on the greenway, you're running, you're jogging, you're walking, and you're just talking with a friend, and all of a sudden you look down and there's a snake all the way across the path. It stops you dead in your tracks, am I right? Maybe you like to go hiking. Maybe you go up to the Great Smoky Mountains and you're walking and you're talking. You're eating your trail mix because you need to keep the proteins going. And all of a sudden you hear in the distance something that sounds like a bear. It stops you dead in your tracks. Now those are just some silly illustrations, but maybe you've had that moment where something has stopped you dead in your tracks. Maybe it was a phone call. You receive a phone call and on the other end, maybe you received good news or you received bad news. And in that moment, it stopped you. It froze you. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was shock. Maybe it was concern. But you were stopped, dead in your tracks. I can remember being a small child. My father, who was a truck driver, he came home one day, and he took me out into my mom's garage. There was a chest freezer there, and he picked me up, and he set me on that freezer, and he began to tell me how he was leaving our family. He began to try to explain the fact that he no longer loved my mother, and he was leaving us to go live somewhere else. Stop me dead in my tracks as a young child. Well, let's think of a, a more joyous one. We're in college, my wife and I, we've, we're young married. We got married at a very young age. That's why we still look so young. And so we got married at a very young age and we're trying to get through college. And there was that day where she took the pregnancy test with tears running down her face. She told me, and the good news, and it stopped us dead in our tracks, right? It was never going to be the same. Well, Saul, he's here. He's, he's breathing out murderous threats against the church. He thinks he's right. He is on a mission, and God shows up in his path. Let me tell you something. This, this is Easter Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday, and there's a resurrected Lord who wants to stop each and every one of us in our tracks on the road that we're on and say, hey, I have a different path for you. And that path is what we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 9. Now, maybe you're not familiar with Saul. Saul, he got his name after King Saul. It's a good, strong Jewish name. But later he changed his name to Paul, which showed the conversion that took place because Paul actually means small. And he must decrease and Christ must increase. And so this is what his life would be patterned after because he was raised a Jew, trained as a rabbi. He became a violent persecutor of the church. In fact, he hated Christ. 
He hated those that were associated with Christ. He didn't believe in the resurrection at all. And he was determined to go from house to house to grab people and throw them into jail because he saw Christianity as what you might say as a dangerous virus that needed to be vaccinated against. Is that too soon to say? Because it was spreading. It was going everywhere. And so after the stoning of Stephen, it's now getting out of Jerusalem. It's going all throughout Samaria into the ends of the earth. And so Paul himself... Paul saw, I will go interchangeably between those two. You just got to keep up, the same person. So he does this, and all of a sudden he says, you know what, I think I need to take this upon myself and eradicate the church. No one in Scripture has a more horrible track record, a more horrible reputation than Saul. Do you know something? God can save people with the most horrible reputations. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. If you have the most horrible reputation you could ever imagine, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been doing. You don't know what my mindset is. You don't know what I've been engaged in. Listen, he can stop you dead in your tracks and change you within an instant. He's a life-changing God who defeated death and rose again to give us life. And that's why we're here this morning. We celebrate a risen Savior. What could change Saul to Paul in an instant? This is it the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that changed him. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 17 say, say these words. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Listen, we're here today and we celebrate a risen Christ because we know that by faith that there is a resurrection to come. That he is the first fruits. He shows that those who are in Christ have been forgiven of sin and have everlasting life. And so we celebrate a risen Savior today. And Saul, Saul needed to be blinded by a radiant reminder of the resurrection. I pray that that's what we're doing today. We're reminded of a radiant reminder of the resurrection. I mean, this is a great Sunday. This is an awesome Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. A lot of us are wearing pink and we're wearing colors we would never wear any other day of the year. But we're doing it because we got to take pictures. We got to post it on social media because then people will know that we actually came to church, right? We got to do that. It's far greater than that. It's the fact that he changes us from the inside out. He stops us dead in our tracks and reminds us that he is alive. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the resurrection. You're the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you, Jesus. You paid the penalty for our sins. You died on the cross. You bore our sin and our shame, and you suffered in our place to atone for every one of our sins. Not one is not covered because of your blood. Today, as we celebrate the resurrection, Father, help us to celebrate life. Help us to celebrate new life, a conversion life, a life that is never the same. Lord, stop us dead in our tracks today and remind us that you are alive. In Christ's name, amen. So one thing I want you to see this morning, just one. The resurrection king, the resurrected king stops blinded sinners dead in their tracks. The resurrected king stops blinded sinners dead in their tracks. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me as I read. 
But Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground And although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is God's word. Saul got blinded on the road to Damascus. And really, he got blinded because Christ was showing them that he was already blind. The things that you're doing reveal that you're blind. You're leading a blind life. And so I will blind you physically to show you that you're spiritually blind, Saul. He was blinded. It says there, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Previous chapter, chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and dragging off men and women And committing them to prison. I mean, this is a man of horrible reputation. This is a man who applauds the murder of Stephen. This is a man who is going house to house, dragging men and women brutally to prison and approving of their execution because they follow Jesus Christ. This is a man that you don't want to run into on the streets. This is a man that you don't have anything to do with. He's there now asking for letters to the synagogues of Damascus. And you're like, okay, that sounds good. No, 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 no. From Jerusalem, that's 160 miles away. He's taking it upon himself to not just, not just do his hometown area. No, I'm going to go to Damascus. I'm going to travel, not by car, right? 160 miles to arrest anyone I can find that's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, 160 miles, let, let me just give you that imagery. If you're in Cleveland, Tennessee, and you want to go to Nashville, Tennessee, you got to do that long trek of down through Chattanooga, through the Ridge Cut, you know, by the, you know, the, the bend there. It's always packed. It's always crowded. You got to go all the way up. You got to go over Mont Eagle, and you got to go all the way down, and then you just kind of get into Nashville eventually. That's 160 miles. Do you think he's determined? Do you think he's got a mission? Do you think he feels justified in what he's doing? He feels so justified in what he's doing that he's willing to travel that far to arrest anyone that's part of the way. What a remarkable thought that he is so justified in his anger that he thinks his actions are appropriate. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been blinded by anger so much so that you believe that your actions towards another person are justified? Have you ever been so blinded by anger that you felt justified in the things that you said about that person? The way you maligned them, the way you mistreated them, the way you defamed them, the things that you did to them, oh, I'll get them back. They got it coming. They deserve everything that's coming to them. This was the type of hatred that was marking Saul's life. Though he thought he was good, though he thought he was religious, is what we're going to get to. He was blinded, blinded by rage 
This is the same thing that takes place just one chapter after the fall. Sin enters the world, and there's these two brothers, Cain and Abel. And God says to Cain, the Lord said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, 6 and 7, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must overcome it. Here's what he says to Cain. Cain, there's something happening in your life right now that you feel so justified in that it's gonna lead you to sin. It's gonna lead you, this anger that you feel is gonna lead you towards bitterness. This bitterness is gonna give birth to anger and this anger is gonna give birth to blind rage. And when there's blind rage, there's sinful actions and you mistreat people and you hurt people and you malign people and heaven forbid, you kill people. And this is where Saul is. Saul's blinded by anger. In a room this size, I don't think it's a far-reaching thought to think that there are people who come today who are wounded by others and you're angry about it and you're carrying a bitterness and sometimes you feel justified in how you treat people and the things you say about people. This is, this is the type of person that God likes to stop dead in their tracks. Not only was he blind to his rage and anger. He was blind to religion. He was blind to his own religion. Galatians chapter one, if you'll turn with me there. This is the letter written by Paul. Later, he was Saul, then later became Paul. He writes this letter to the church in Galatia and he writes these words and he's gonna tell you how good he really is. He's blinded by his religion. Galatians chapter one, 13 through 17 begins this way. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Let me stop right there. He says, look, if you want to talk about religion, I was looking at everyone else my age and I was far exceeding in those people. I was so zealous. I was doing all of this. I was following all the rules. In fact, in Philippians, he says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as for righteousness under the law. Get this. He says, blameless. You can't follow rules any better than Saul follows rules. But we just read about a man with a horrible past, a horrible raging sin in his life that he's willing to justify murder and anger in his life. His heart is far from God, but yet he knows how to follow religious rules. Galatians 1.15, keep reading with me. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. You see what he said there? He was pleased to reveal himself to me and his son, Jesus. He was pleased to reveal himself to me. Listen, you can be the most hardened sinner and your heart can be so far from God and God is pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus Christ. He is pleased to say, look, this is what love is. This is what sacrifice is. This is me giving up myself so that you can have life everlasting. This he was pleased to reveal. This shows the sovereign grace of God. He goes on and says, for you knew me in my mother's womb. 
Here's what we can tell from the life of Saul is that God had been watching Saul before he was even born. He knew him in his mother's womb. He watched him as a toddler. He watched him go through those awkward middle school years. No offense, right? He watched him go through that. He watched him go through puberty and all the weird things that happened. He watched him get into college, his rabbi school. He watched him experience all the things that he did. He knew that he was a sinner. He was following all the things of this world, but yet I'm so good because I have all this religion. And God was pursuing every step. Listen, there's, there's a reason you're here today. And it's not to check church off your list. There's a reason you're here today because God in his sovereignty has known you from when you were in your mother's womb. And he has watched you as you were a toddler, as you were a teenager, as you were a young adult, until whatever age you are now. He's been watching you and pursuing you and wanting to stop you dead in your tracks because he is a resurrected king who gives life to those who are dead and perishing. It's not by accident that we're here. He was pleased to reveal himself to you. That's why you're here. He revealed himself to you. Though Saul was spiritually educated, he was still spiritually blind. And listen, for those of us who grow up in the Bible Belt, who grow up in this area, going to church every Sunday, you can have such spiritual education and still be spiritually blind. You can know all the things that the Bible has to say and you can know all the, the figures that go on the felt board. You can know all of those things and you can do really good in Awanas. But you know what? If you still treat people rudely and harshly and you hold bitterness and anger in your life, you show that there's not been a change in your heart because spiritual education does not equate to spiritual transformation. Spiritual education does not equate to spiritual transformation. That is done by God in his grace and his mercy when he stops us dead in our tracks. Hey, I've got a different path for you. John chapter nine, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. What a per perfect verse for the life of Saul. Saul, you think you see. Saul, you think you know. You, you even call yourself blameless. Buddy, you're blind. And I'm going to show you how blind you are by blinding you on the road to Damascus. Not only was he having self-justified anger and having self-justified religion, it all boils down to the fact that he was blind and self-justified sin. You cannot spell the word sin without the middle letter, I. And really it boils down to that. There's a lot of I in each and every one of us. A lot of I, I, I need this. Oh, I, I deserve this. I'm good at this. I can do this. I can handle this. I need this. This is emotionally pleasing to me. I, I, I. And we begin to self-justify sin in our life because oh, it's a little sin. It's not a big sin. I'm not doing anything bad. And it doesn't matter if it's a little sin or a big sin. Our past shows us that we are sinners fallen from God, but God and his graciousness shines light on the dark areas of our heart. Second Corinthians 4, 4, Paul would write these words. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, many of us are blinded, blinded by our bellies, blinded in our minds, blinded to the fact that I, 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 the whole world revolves around I at the moment. Blinded by that. 
But God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to stop you dead in his tracks. This is why he says in John chapter 3, 19 through 20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. He says, look, this is the judgment. The light of the world, the one who brings sight to the blind has come into the world, but yet the world has said, you know what? I think I'd rather live in darkness. I think I'd rather live with, with I in the center of my world. And if I is in the center of my world, then I'm in the middle of sin. Blinded by sin. Those who know they're blind cry out for mercy. It reminds me of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 48, there's a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. The son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, those who know they're blind cry out for mercy. But those like Saul who don't know they're blind continue down a path and need God to stop them dead in their tracks. You notice what the crowd did when Bartimaeus cried out for mercy? Shh, hey, just be quiet. You don't need that. You don't need that. Let me tell you, there's a culture, there's a crowd, and there's a world that is saying, shh, don't cry out for mercy. You put I in the middle of your life. You, you deserve this. You can handle this. You got this. Forget God's word. Forget all that stuff. I, I, I. And my prayer is that God would stop you dead in your tracks today if that's where you are. Verse three, Acts chapter nine. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, let me just point out one thing right there. The persecution of the church is personal to Jesus. He takes it personal. He's the head of the church. The church, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is not a building. It's not a group. It's a body of believers who have been joined to the Lord, added to the Lord is what Acts says. And when you're added to the Lord and when you are persecuted, he takes it personal because he says, why are you persecuting me? This shows you the connection of your connectivity with Christ. But Paul also tells this story later on in Acts. In fact, the conversion story of Saul is told two other times in Acts. And one of those is Acts chapter 26. He's standing before King Agrippa and he adds a different line in there. When, when Saul tells the story, when Paul tells the story, he gets a little more personal. It says this in Acts 26, 12 through 15. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me. And those who journeyed with me, when we had all fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You see the extra line there? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Kick against the goads. That's not a familiar term for us, is it? Don't use that in everyday language. Didn't use it this week at work, probably. If you did, I'd love to hear the story. That, that would probably be a good one. 
What are goads? What is kicking against goads? Well, farmers back in those days, when they were trying to get the ox to move, they would have a stick. One end would be blunt, one end would be pointy, and they would goad them, right? Hey, get going, ox, get going. And they would try to prod them along the way. And what would happen is when they would poke them, they'd get mad and they'd kick back. Quit that. Stop poking me. Why are you kicking against the goads? So what What Paul says about the conversion is that he realizes that from the very beginning, God has been active in his heart, prodding him, poking him, goading him, convicting him. And he's kicking against it. I don't want that conviction. I don't want you to tell me that. I don't want to feel guilty for that. Listen, some of us in here right now, God has been working on our hearts for weeks and months and years, and he's been prodding you and goading you, and you've been kicking against it. I don't want to deal with that conviction. And you know what would happen to the ox when they would kick against the goad? Sometimes they would kick and they would stab themselves even worse. They would lacerate their legs. They would wound themselves brutally, and they would carry those consequences. And listen, some of you know this. You've kicked against the conviction of Jesus Christ, and you've gone on down the path that you wanted to go, and you carry the wounds and the hurts of the past because you kicked against the conviction of Jesus Christ. This is what God is doing. He's stopping us dead in our tracks. Radiant reminders of the resurrection. Stop kicking against conviction. My prayer is that God is convicting you today of sins and things in your life that you know shouldn't be there. This isn't some Sunday that we dress up. This is a Sunday that we remind ourselves that there's a, there's a king. There's a king who paid a very high price for our sins. And he loves us so dearly that he's willing to prick our hearts, to goad us, to say, hey, you're going down the wrong path. You're going the wrong way. Paul in Ephesians chapter two. He talks about this moment. And I want you to see this. And I've got one verse there highlighted, but I'm gonna get to it right here in the middle. But I I gotta start and work our way through it. So I want you to listen to these words. Ephesians chapter two, starting verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Look, he says, look, we all were listening to the wrong voice. We were all blind in our sin. We're all children of wrath. We're all going our own direction, but God. There was a moment I was on a path, but God showed up. Do you have a but God moment in your life? I was, I was dead to sin. I was dead in my sin. I was going the wrong way, but God showed up. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Let me tell you something. I don't care what sin you bring in here today. You are loved by God. You might be deep in sin, but you are loved, and God does not want to keep you there but God wants to remove you from that. He wants to prod you. He wants to goad you. He wants to push you in a direction towards salvation. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Look, we, we have a glimpse. We have no clue what's to come and how great it will be through Christ Jesus. For by grace, 
you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God and not a result of works so that no man may boast. Today, none of us are good. None of us follow the law blamelessly. Even if we think we do, we're wrong. Some of us come in here with anger and rage and hurts from the past. We blamed other people for the sins in our life. Well, I'm justified in that. Maybe we're justifying the I, the sin, us being right smack dab in the middle of sin. Listen, but God, but God stops us dead in our tracks. Have you had a but God moment in your life? Can you recall that moment where he stopped you, where he broke you, where he renamed you, where he reclaimed you, where he redeemed you? where he took you from death to life, where he took you from blindness to sight. This is the resurrected Lord standing in our path today. Remember, I defeated death and I hold your sins against you no more. Paul was a sinner, but God. You were a sinner, but God. Paul felt justified in his sin, but God. You might feel justified in your sin, but God is greater. Paul, he kicked back at the goads, the conviction of Christ, but God. Listen, you might be kicking back at conviction, but God is greater. Paul enjoyed sin for a season, but God. Paul was spiritually blind, but God. Paul wasn't looking for new life, but God. But God. God is taking away the sins of the world. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But God laid our sins upon his very own son so that we could be found righteous in God. What an amazing gift. What an amazing truth. It should stop us dead in our tracks. There's a God who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the penalty of sin and to give us new life. And the down payment and the guarantee of that is that he is resurrected from the grave. Therefore, as Philippians says, as Paul says to the Philippian church at 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, one day we will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will do it covered in his blood or we'll do it as children of wrath. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. How will you stand before the Lord that day? Has he stopped you in your tracks? Has he pursued you? As Spurgeon would say, the hound of heaven, has he sniffed you out and found you today? And Paul would say, that moment changed everything. Everything before that moment is rubbish. Everything that I held to before that doesn't, doesn't amount to anything anymore. Is that your but God moment? Man, that, that's the old me. But through Christ, there's a new me, a new creation. Listen to this, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, I want to be so associated with Christ and all of that other stuff doesn't matter anymore. And he goes on, verse 18, for many of whom have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame with mindset on earthly things. There's another but. But church, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Listen, there is a God, but God and but our citizenship. We don't live for this world anymore. All that stuff we consider rubbish. It is the old way and we look forward to the new way and we, we wait upon a savior who resurrected, who ascended into heaven and he will come back to gain, reclaim his church, amen? So Saul, he turned to Paul and in that moment, he did this, Acts 9 verse 17 and 19. So Ananias, talk about him more next week, departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. When he rose and when he regained his sight, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to be associated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The one who didn't believe in the resurrection wants to be associated with the resurrection. I want to be so close to Christ. I want to be buried with him in baptism and risen with him in newness of life. I want the whole world to know that I was once Saul and now I'm Paul. I was once big and bad and now I'm small. And God is greater than everything. Have you had that moment, church? Has there been that moment in your life where you're like, but God, and I had to follow him in obedience. I had to follow him in obedience. I played with you this morning. I pray that God has stopped you dead in your tracks and there's been a radiant reminder of the resurrection that life with Christ is far greater than anything this world can offer. Life with Christ is far greater. Don't walk in blindness any longer. Don't walk in blind rage. Don't blind yourself with religion and doing good. Don't blind yourself with sins that you'd want to justify. No, allow him to shine light on the dark areas of your heart and life today and allow his prodding, his convicting to lead you into all truth, to lead you into repentance. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask for you to respond. I don't know how you're gonna respond this morning. You might wanna grab a friend and say, I need you to pray with me. Just right here, a family member, you might want to bow your heads. You might want to bow them there at, the, at your seat or here at the altar. But my, my charge is that you would respond to God, a resurrected king who stands in your path today. And in just a moment, you're going to see the picture of the resurrection life. In just a moment after our final song, we're going to, we're going to worship the Lord with baptism. We're going to go from death to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the resurrected life, the life that you've given us, Lord, the life that we have 
in you. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's someone who doesn't know you, who hasn't had that moment of surrender, the moment where they say, you're Lord, Lord of my life, I pray that right now that they would say the simple prayer right there where they are, that they would surrender their life to you, surrender to the goading and the prodding that you have been working in their life until this very moment, that they would today find salvation. Father, we thank you for bearing the penalty of sin and death on the cross for us. May our lives be lived to glorify you. Thank you for the radiant reminder of the resurrection. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you sing? Will you respond? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com or subscribe to hear more sermons like this or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.